What is up, guys? We are back again with another episode of Triage Thoughts here. I believe this is episode 27. Usually Gary introduces this and I always get it wrong when I introduce the number because clearly I can't read. Um, But Gary is still not with us. He is still off in somewhere, Bali, Asia somewhere anyway. I don't know where he is exactly today. Um, I think I want to say he's back next week, but it could be the week after. So people keep asking, when's he back? I genuinely don't know. I, I think it's next week, somewhere somewhere around that time. Anyway, on today's episode, we have the beautiful Luke Hoffman back. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about program design and how you kind of delve in with your own unique biomechanics. Okay, what, what considerations should you be thinking of when you're looking to design your program based on your body and this is one of the things that like myself and gary have talked about before on the podcast and you know if you follow us on social media well follow me on social media you just see pictures of me squatting in random places but if you follow triage uh, or gary on social media you'll see our kind of thoughts around you know actually tailoring exercises to you as an individual so there's a lot of things that you have to take into account when you are designing a program and i understand when you first get into the industry or as a trainee you know you may not know all this kind of stuff it's 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 easy to fall down the trap that oh i have to do squats because squats are the king of exercises and you know i love i'm partial to some squats and but for a lot of people squats simply don't fit their body or rather their body simply doesn't fit squats, you know? So they'd either have to change that exercise a lot to fit in with this paradigm that, oh, I have to do squats because, you know, squats are the king of exercises. Or they could take a more, we'll say, nuanced approach and go, what is the actual goal of having squats in my program? And are there other exercises that fit me as an individual better so that I can still accomplish that goal and actually not feel like I'm getting the fucking shit kicked out of me every time I squat because that's what you'll see a lot of people do they go oh my low back just takes all the load like me and you Luke have talked about it before where for most people I'd almost consider the squat like a back exercise mm-hmm. because for, for most people it's not even the legs that are getting the most amount of tension it's either well it's the upper back it's the low back for a lot of people and you know if your goals are to be build the biggest legs possible for you as an individual you know, maybe squats aren't the, the king of exercises. Maybe something else is the king of exercises for your legs. So that's what we're going to want to dive a little deeper on today. So I'm going to let you guide this conversation, Luke, because if people are listening to this, they, they kind of already know mine and Gary's thought processes on these things. And I'm going to let you lead this conversation, but I'm also going to interject and just shout out random opinions. <laughs> So, what's the story? So, um, yeah, thank you for having me back. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is basically, you know, obviously Paddy and Gaz have spoken about this before, so this is going to be the thoughts and musings of someone without an Irish accent on um, on the topic. <laughs> but the um, no, I mean, it's, it it kind of boils down to as you've said already, and I, as I quoted you last time I was on. We're all uh, we're all different, and we we need to celebrate that as opposed to like demonize it. And um, you know, a, a good coach can design a program based on some principles of muscle physiology that will kind of dictate how muscles will respond from a perspective of like hypertrophy, strength, endurance, power, whatever else. But a uh, you know a, an even better coach, or you say great coach, would uh, would can can take that into account whilst whilst also being able to apply apply it all to someone's unique structure and bodily function and like the areas that you know i think in in that that come under that bracket that people need to consider would be things like anatomy and like the internal forces someone's able to produce um the you know limb length range of available joint positions range of avail- available contractile lengths um which is that those we kind of discussed last time i was on and um and and yet you know people kind of lump those in together and, you know, they're not the same thing. Um, the, the, and, and these are the two areas that kind of will essentially cover any joint discrepancy someone may possess from like, you know, between sides, which will in turn help 
identify any kind of muscular inhibition that may be present throughout the nervous system, which will influence how they perform certain movements and how they're able to recruit certain muscles. Um, and then you have like the amount of muscle someone actually carries, which would kind of link back to that internal force thing with regards to anatomy. And that that has a big impact on what exercises are actually useful for certain individuals and what, which ones are just potentially dangerous. Um, and, uh, and then things like training age and, you know, which would account for thing, you know, someone's actual skill within the gym and, and their ability to carry out these complex motor tasks, you know, in the form of bigger movements and, and, you know, the list could be lengthy, but those are probably the areas that I believe people need to be considering most. And it, it kind of, ultimately it boils down to the fact that there's an area of science that is somewhat overlooked when it comes to resistance training. And, you know, that's basically the realm of biomechanics and even more specifically exercise mechanics, which if you, if you were kind of going to define that, you'd think like basically the study of the mechanical laws relating to uh, the structure and function of living organisms. And on, like that's on like a grander scale all the way down to a cellular one, you know, so in the, but in the realm of exercise, we want to be a little narrower. So, and I know Tom Purvis of, R, of RTS has made that same distinction in, uh, in some of his present presenting. Um, but we're, um, and we're probably not going to be delving into the cellular mechanics because not only is that beyond the scope of this talk, but it's, you know, I don't actually know enough about that area. <laughs> and, um, but as you know, so tra trainers and coaches engaging in program design seem to be pretty decent at what goes on at a basic physiological level in response to training. And, um, you know, we covered some of the more advanced aspects of this area in the last episode I was on. And, um, you know, the more advanced trainers are able to understand more about what may be occurring from like a biochemical standpoint and how to optimize that. And then there are very few that actually take into account what's happening at the mechanical level and how to optimize this. And, the, the, you know, the benefit you get from doing that is that if, if you understand this area and you're able to apply it well, it makes program design more effective in the sense that you gain the ability to be able to be more precise with how you're able to target and recruit certain musculature um, it would very probably decrease the likelihood of injury occurring because you, you know, being respectful of someone's structure and ability to get into certain joint positions and muscle length is going to have a far greater impact uh, uh, on whether or not that person will exceed tolerance and end up with some sort of injury, which is again what we kind of discussed in the last time, last episode I was on. And then, you know, lastly, it would be, you know, provide a far more valid and and less problematic explanation of many of the common movement patterns we typically see within training of ourselves and clients that would eliminate the need to make these kind of arbitrary assumptions of about whether we believe someone had tight muscles or not. Um, and, um, you know, you know, maybe someone's tucking their hips at the bottom of the squat or, or doing some sort of hip shift in some way, you know, and maybe that's, yeah, it could be indicative of some sort of tightness or maybe it's just the body finding a way to um, do the thing that, you know, we're asking it to do whilst working around its own structure or some element of muscular inhibition or simply, in a lot of cases, the lack of the required skill to get the job done in what we would consider, you know, a smooth and correct manner. So it's like there is a huge benefit to knowing this sort of thing and hopefully you know, today we'll be able to give you guys and gals some some insight into how this would translate into the coaching environment because that's the uh, that's probably the tricky part. Yeah, I 100% agree with you because the way I kind of see it, when people interpret research, well, when research is done, okay, you see a lot of, well, when I'm specifically talking about resistance training research, you see a lot of discussion around intensity, volume, you know, different periodization strategies and whether doing 10 sets per week or five sets per week is better or you know is a more frequent training of a muscle better and it's like this is all key valuable information that would or does help inform us in terms of how we look at designing an entire program however a lot of the research just completely ignores you know whether these exercises actually fit the individual like it doesn't take into account the unique biomechanics of this individual and obviously this is something that you, you to an extent you almost can't take into account because like how do you say oh well we had 
20 participants in this study and three of them were doing the hack squat five of them were doing you know front squats and the rest were doing back squats but we kind of equated volume like how do you even equate volume with that and then how do you take into account how much tension was actually on say you wanted to train the quads like how much tension was actually on the quads for that individual it's just too hard to kind of really dive in deep in in a a bigger study and then you, you obviously get the opposite side of the things where if i go as an individual go yeah okay well hack squats i feel my quads working more hack squats build my quads more like that's just an n equals one so it's like okay well for you as an individual cool that's that's great but how do we apply that to a general population? And it's one of the things that I kind of hate about, I'm going to say the interpretation of the research, because I know a lot of the people doing the research and even they write it in the papers where it's like, okay, well, these factors are kind of ignored and they should be taken into account if you're actually looking to interpret this this, this research. Whereas people read the research or rather people read the abstract, abstract or people just read someone else's opinion of that research paper rather than actually reading the research paper and they take away from it oh 10 sets is better than five sets for a given muscle per week and training it twice per week is ideal you know and they just fail to acknowledge that there are limitations to that because attention should be on the musculature that you're trying to target and looking at that study that said oh 10 sets of squats per week is better than five sets of squats per week kind of gives you the impression that, well, it has to be squats that I do. Like I couldn't possibly equate something else, you know? And without the the fundamental understanding of, my, I'm going to call it the biophysics, you know, because that's what we like to call it. You know, you, you can kind of go down rabbit holes with your thought process, which you could quite easily justify with the science. And I put science in quotes um, because, that's what it would appear to suggest. However, if you actually look a little bit deeper, peel stuff back and start diving, like I, I like biochemistry. So if you start diving into the biochemistry side of things, you start realizing that a lot of things that people say or do with regards to training just don't make sense on a biochemical level. Like say, for example, like using shear, uh, that, that's a really easy one. People going like, oh, leg extensions, shear on, you know, the the knee. And it's like, do you like you're not even looking down to a biochemical level let alone the the biophysics level like you're equating shear which is something that we're looking at in a mechanical we'll say uh system and you're, you're equating that to a biological system assuming that it's going to be the exact same just completely ignoring the role of collagen and like it's it's a it's a non-Newtonian fluid nature. So for example, like you do your leg extension and people go, oh, there's loads of shear on the knee. And it's like, well, the, the collagen in all the tendons, all that like mm-hmm. not connective tissue and whatever actually gets stronger the more shear that's based on it, the more that the the, hi- the hydrogen that's in that kind of uh, collagen matrix uh, is squeezed out, the stronger it gets. So the more shear you place on it, the stronger it gets. So you're, you're, you're just completely ignoring that aspect of things and i can understand why because saying shear on your knee in a leg extension is bad and you know it's going to cause issues is a really kind of simple concept to kind of get your head around you go okay well actually oh there's there's a lot of shear here you know yeah it's it's clearly bad for your knee you know so i can understand the thought process but then when you go let's let's peel this back a little bit and you dive a little bit deeper and you go okay well actually this this is not an issue in a biological system. And this is what I kind of don't like about the the, the way the research is done. And I, I actually personally don't know how you would get around it. So I understand why it is done like this. Um, but not taking into account, like all of what you just said, all the individual, you know, variances in muscle uh, contractile ability, you know, limb length, like all, all the stuff we just discussed there, you know, like, how do you take that into account when you're designing a, a population-based study? And how do you take that into account when you're trying to give generalized, you know, recommendations from that study? Because like, if you asked me or you asked you, like, give me a generalized program just to show me roughly how to set up a program. It, it's actually a, kind of a hard process to do, especially as you delve deeper into things. And as you learn more, you kind of go, oh, well, like I could put squats there, but you know, that's going to rule out 70% of the population 
They just can't do squats, whether it's just a lack of skill, whether it's just a lack of like strength, timing, coordination, whether it's just a, a lack of actual ability, like they don't have the the hip mobility, the knee mobility, the ankle mobility, the, the shoulder mobility, whatever it is. Like, so you're kind of going, okay, well, like, yeah, that may be an exercise that would be good for this person, but maybe it's not an exercise that's good for that person right now. And um, so maybe we should build to that. You kind of go, when you're, when you're looking at this and giving this like generalized overview, it's pretty hard to go into all the subtle nuances while keeping it general. Like you, you kind of need to get that N equals one. You kind of need to see the individual in front of you and then you need to assess their recovery capacities, their, like all the different, all the different variables that go into an actual program. So it's very hard to generalize all this information. So I 100% understand why the research leaves a lot to be desired. Like, so I'm not bagging on, you know, exercise scientists or anything. Um, but this whole biomechanics, we'll call it, this biomechanics, biophysics, we'll call it, you know, is just ignored. And I, I understand why. However, it, it kind of gives you the impression, especially if you're a coach coming into the business, that it's just not important because, well, I've read fucking 300 studies on training and I've never taken, they've never taken it into account. So why should I? You know, so like I can understand why people kind of go, ah, it's just a, it's a non-issue. It's a, it's something that you just, who really cares about, you know, but when you start delving deep and you kind of train a lot of people and notice a lot of trends in individuals and, you know, start learning a bit more about this, the whole underlying stuff. Like if you haven't listened to the episode we did before, I would suggest going back and listening to it first, because it gives you a lot of underlying physiology muscle physiology and stuff that you should be thinking of when you're looking at training as a whole and if you don't understand that kind of stuff and i'm not saying you have to be an expert in that stuff but if you don't understand that there is like onions there is layers to this onion you know you, you kind of miss the boat with the whole thing so as you said there's a there's a lot of variables that go into program design without even looking at the the periodization strategies, the volume, the intensity, then actually looking at the recovery capacities of that individual, et cetera, lifestyle factors, stress, sleep, all that kind of stuff, without even going into that. Like, in my opinion, the foundational thing is understanding, I'm going to say biomechanics, because if you don't understand the biomechanics, like just saying do a squat isn't going to get you or saying do the bench press isn't going to get you necessarily the outcome that you're looking for. So we could actually say that, you know, actual effective goal setting is the, the foundational thing that you need to do when designing a program, because that allows you then understand why every single thing is in your program. But like, that's kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. Um, but understanding the biomechanics of what that exercise is doing to you internally like what that external stimulus is doing internally and how that relates to your goals is the foundation of the entire program. And then when you actually look at the program design itself, like I always say, it's it's the rep that dictates everything else because like how you perform an individual rep dictates the training response. How many reps you do dictates the training response. So like that's the, we'll say the fundamental unit and like there are obviously things that go into how you perform that rep, like tempo and, and all that kind of stuff, internal, external stimulus and or in queuing even. Um, but like fundamentally, it's how you perform an actual rep itself that dictates the training response. Because if you just do 30 shitty reps and go, oh, yeah, that's cool. I might have got some stimulation with that. Like it's it, the, the conversation around sets is 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 ridiculous because you just you like you don't know you haven't standardized your individual reps so like nothing else can be standardized within that program and how do you standardize the individual reps it's with an understanding mm. of the biomechanics Absolutely. and you as an individual <laughs> with respect to your yeah, training I, mean, it's, um, I think if you you know when you're looking to design a program and you know, an effective program, you, you you know it needs to start with a decent assessment form, you know, form of assessment, um, where you're you're able to you know gauge this stuff in a quite an unbiased manner. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, the um, and that's where you know there's so many assessment methods out there where they get you to to do these movements and then they assume a lot from these you know 
from what how you perform you know they get you to do an overhead squat holding a pole and and do you know lunges and all this stuff and 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 these movements are going to be dictated by your mechanics and and you know essentially you know in the case of that overhead squat one your body's just going to be trying to i know gaz has probably mentioned this because this is standard in the world of physio but you know that they someone folds forward and and looks like they they've got all this tightness like yeah you've got tight glutes and hip flexors and hamstrings oh my god you're a nightmare and it's like okay maybe that person's just uh the, the body, their body's just trying to keep their center of you know center of mass over their base of support and not have them fall over. And if you were to give you know modify that or give them something that would shift that center of mass or whatever it is, you would probably find that they squat with what you would consider to be pretty normal. But you've then made all these assumptions based on just that in- individual structure because um, you get some people with incredibly short femurs and, and an amazing ability to dorsiflex and and um I'd say short femurs in relation to their tibias. Um and they do that movement pretty nicely because they're there's not a huge shift in their centre of mass and, and all that stuff. And um and and so you want to look for some sort of method of assessing someone that takes this kind of thing into account. And then you also want to be able to then know that when you see that person do do a certain movement it may look different and that's absolutely fine. And and you've just got to find ways to modify that person's mechanics or adapt around it to, to elicit the response you're after. But in terms of the assessment strategies that I'll use, and I'm starting to implement ways to do this with online guys because it's hard to do. And that's one of the downsides of, of working with online people who don't have the ability to do, you know, make this do some sort of in-depth assessment in this way but um is is basically being able to go through each joint in the body in pretty much isolation or in a combination of positions and gauge how much range they have there actively and and what they can do there because that will be able to give you the the biggest indication of whether there's any of that aforementioned you know muscular inhibition that will influence you know influence how they're going to do things and, and you know, result in this kind of compensation and which on that note, compensation is not a bad thing. It's just compensation. You, you, you know, you've got someone going into a squat and they shift over onto one side and it's like, is that something we want to be worried about? Or is that something we want to kind of go, okay, cool. This person's got certain muscles that don't want to get into that position. That's absolutely fine. Now I've got to figure out how I can, get those muscles to do their job a little bit better so that compensation doesn't occur um and um and and then but once you've set, been able to assess someone in quite an unbiased manner any you can take that kind of information and, and bring it into the gym for you and like i said you know you then see them do a squat and it all makes a bit more sense but simply just gauging someone's anatomy like it's quite easy to look at someone and go yeah you've if you squat you're going to look like you, you know falling over forward and it's just going to look incredibly unnatural for you and then similarly you look at other people and, and it just looks perfectly perfectly natural and and they'll get quad gains for days <laughs> and it's uh you know they won't get a lot of lower back and and, and stuff like that in a squat and, and it's you know happy days and and it's you know the, the the wrong thing is when people get made to feel bad because they're built in a certain way it's like no that's just that's just how that individual is and um but um, yeah, I mean, was that, I, I didn't. What was the actual question? The um, it's just a discussion. Uh, you know? We're just. I mean, we're just I talking about program designs. For me, is <laughs> understanding anatomy and basically being able to. And I think this is an area that again people just lack in. Um, you know, so they're they're trying to target a certain muscle in a certain way, and, and they they've set up an exercise that is not at all conducive to um, eliciting hypertrophy or strength gains or whatever. It, you know, it's not biasing any sort of, sort of uh, um, recruitment in a particular muscle that they kind of assume. And this is where it comes back to people reading research articles and they're like, oh, yeah, squats are great for quads, sweet. And and then there's or, – or, you know, they're setting up a uh, some sort of – 
chest press movement and 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 you know they're assuming they're getting a lot of sternal fibers in their chest or something like that or sternocostal fibers and and they get they're getting a shitload of front delt and and not a lot of chest or they're, they're failing to account for that their structure is not at all conducive to pec recruitment in a bench press and they assume that bench press is a great chest builder and it's like mm, that's probably there's a small percentage of people out there that are actually going to benefit from um using a you know some sort of free weight barbell movement with regards to hypertrophying their chest if that hypertrophying is even a word <laughs> but um but yeah i mean would you agree with that i would 100 percent agree with that and i i actually think a lot of the misunderstanding or lack of understanding is because people aren't actually diving deep with anatomy. Like we can call it anatomy biomechanics. Like I kind of just, in my head, I view them as like an umbrella term. Like when I say biomechanics, I'm like, you can't understand biomechanics unless you understand anatomy. So like in my head, they're kind of the exact same thing. But like you said, if you're, if you don't know like your anatomy, like you, you kind of set things up incorrectly with the assumption that you are targeting something like whatever it is that you're trying to target like for example like i triceps people have no fucking clue the functions of a tricep and they kind of just go oh it's like elbow extension and that's all they kind of think of and it's like yeah but why does your tricep why, why is it your tricep that's getting super pumped when you're doing these like straight bar or straight arm lat pull ins or pull downs or whatever you want to call them you know or pullovers or something it's like like why why is your tricep getting fucking pumped to bits and it's like you need to look down deeper into the anatomy side of things so that you can understand why certain musculature is taking over in a certain exercise with regard to you as an individual performing that exercise and then how would you take that out if like say for example you wanted to target something and you're feeling it somewhere else even though that exercise is supposed to target something like how would you then change that exercise for your body so that you could target the musculature that you want to target and um, so you do have to take that kind of stuff into account and this, this is why a lot of people see people do things and assume that it is the things that they need to be doing for example like using you know accommodating resistance like bands and chains and stuff and it's like they're, they're doing this on a certain exercise to elicit a certain response and you just slapping bands or chains onto a row, like it's not, it's it's not the same as you know slapping bands and chains onto you know a, a chest press or something. You know, like it's even though even though it, yeah, but like it, it looks the exact same because you're like, oh, like that's that's perfect. Like it's you know this is this is exactly what you know I should be doing, and I'll get large because you know accommodating accommodating resistance and all that, bro. You know, and it's like oh, like you're not you don't understand the fundamental underlying principles or you know the basic anatomy to for you to realize why certain tools are brought in at certain times. Like you see people as well using like you, you might see someone, you know, that's juicy and fucking built and they're like putting out some big words and whatever on Instagram. And they're using, I don't know, you know, like the little cuff things that can attach to cables like Callum or sorry, cauliflower, raisin dick. Uh, he, he, he always uses like, cuffs for his like lateral raises and stuff when he's lying down so you might think oh it's the cuffs that i need without realizing you know okay well like there's a certain method that you have to use those cuffs to elicit the goal that you want you know and that doesn't mean that they are inherently better than say dumbbells or something it's they are better for him with his goal in mind and that does not mean that they would be inherently better for you with your goals in mind. So this is, again, with program design, you have to be very clear on what you are trying to achieve. And a lot of people just aren't, I'm going to say, dialed in in terms of what they're actually looking to elicit. Like people have all these like vague, very generalized goals where they want everything, but they don't want anything in particular. It's like, oh, I want to be fit. I want to be muscular. I want to be strong. And it's like, well, what does that actually mean to you? And they, they can't give you like a concrete definitive like this is what i mean by strong this is what i mean by musculature this is what i mean by fit and they just have this like generalized oh like i want everything and i can understand why because you know we're exposed to so much stuff on like social media and even in like general media where people have all these extraordinary abilities and it it seems outside that oh 
he, this guy here or this girl here is really, really fucking strong. So I want to be like that. And then you see this other guy and it's like, he's doing the splits over here and doing backflips. And you're like, Oh, I want to be like that. You know? And then you see this other guy and he's 300 pounds shredded and you're like, Oh, I want to be like that. And without realizing that they are all specialists. And if you're going to be a specialist, you're going to have a trade-off of different things. Like you can't, you can't do everything at once. And I think that's what a lot of people do when they look at program design. They want to do everything at once. And you'll even see this in like bodybuilders and stuff when their clear main aim is to build as much, as much muscle as possible. And they'll cling to things like being athletic when they've never been athletic in their life like you see a lot of bodybuilders like if they threw a punch they just tear their lat or whatever like like they're just so unathletic even though they are in a physical culture and they are clearly using their body like they they aren't connected with their body in an athletic manner but they cling to quote-unquote athletic movements like oh you know the squat is an athletic movement i I have to do that or you know i'm going to lose athleticism and it's like you you already lost athleticism. You're you're 300 pounds, 4% body fat. Like you're not athletic in any sense of the word. Like you can't even jog down the road. Like you're, you're not athletic. So having these, I'm going to say dogma in your head, like these, these different ideas in your head that are clearly conflicting and are informing your program design, you kind of need to peel it all back and dive deep on what you're actually trying to achieve, like effectively goal set. And then also, realize that there is an effective method of programming to achieve that goal but you can't achieve all the goals at once you know and so i suppose what are your thought processes around you have person a and person b coming to you they clearly have completely different body types completely different you know limb lengths everything everything about them like they couldn't be further from each other as possible one of them is five foot five and the other one's six foot five you know, the archetypical short and stocky and long and lanky. Yeah, you have those two individuals and you're looking at designing a program. You did a basic assessment where you're kind of like, okay, I've seen you move a little bit. I've seen you do some, we'll call them like basic movements, like do a little bit of a squat there, you know, do like, I don't know, a push up, whatever it is, whatever assessments that you want to use to kind of go, this is what I'm looking at when I'm designing a program. You've done that, you know? How, what are you looking at then when you design a program? And I suppose, that's, what are you looking at then when you see them actually perform <laughs> um, really, that program? It depends largely on the goal. How do you so, change you know, If someone has a, a, a want to or, or a desire to build a certain muscle group in a certain way, then and they've got mechanics that aren't very – that don't make it very easy for that to be the case. Um then, then it's a case of kind of manipulating things as much as you can, and uh, whilst being respective of all their available joint positions and contractile lengths, and um, and then you know, so you know, if someone's doing a certain, you know, someone's built to squat in a certain way that dom- you know predominantly puts most torque through their their hips and and spinal musculature, they're um, sorry, the uh, and they want to build their quads. Are we going to use squats as a as a movement in their program? Probably not. But if they have, and this is where you know, there's so many people out there that um want to squat, and and I've done this before, and like made the mistake of of kind of overruling people and get, going, no, I'm not going to put squats in, and then they really like squats, even though that it doesn't help them achieve what they want to achieve, and it they you know it doesn't help with client adherence and stuff like that, but um. And that's where, you know, you, 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 we typically see that, you know, someone's squatting and their their hips tuck under and th- there's this kind of general rule that people go, oh, that's really bad. You know, that that's that's going all, you know, all tension is lost on the hips and the legs and, and it's all going on to the lower back where we don't want it. And it's like, that's, that's, that's not necessarily true. Like people have kind of taken this thing that the, 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 your exceeding range at the hip in the sense of if you've if you're seeing spinal flexion and the bottom of a squat, it's generally indicative that you've exceeded the amount of hip flexion someone can have, and therefore you're um, they're having to get that extra range by moving their spine. And and the body is designed to do that. The question is whether or not we want that, and whether or not it's necessary. And there's some people that doesn't matter 
what they say, what you say, they'll still want to do it. And you've basically got to find a way to prepare their body for that and make sure that they can tolerate it. And that's, um, you know, that would be a case of, do you want to do stuff that directly strengthens the, the guys within the trunk to manage that, that force that you're going to be putting through it there. And that's probably where that, those sorts of things you'd have to implement within the program. So, you know, someone, if someone wants to squat and, and they, they, they are going to get more spine and all that stuff, you're going to have to make sure that they're, their spine is is able to handle that. And similarly, if you get someone who does a squat and they get most of the torque being produced by the guys around their knee and their knees might not be up to the task of handling that, you've got to find ways to make sure everything around their knee is able to deal with that. And that's, you know, and boils down to training stuff in isolation and then bringing it back into the big picture. And that's where people kind of often shy away from it as well. That they're kind of like, oh, you know, we don't need to do leg extensions and leg curls and half raises and you know all this stuff and, and it's you know it, pay, it pays in the long run because you, you're you're able to take the the adaptation of getting stronger quads and stronger hamstrings stronger calves and, and bring that back into a movement where you're then going to have everything else working more efficiently and um you know similarly you get those two two individuals and they both want to bench press and one of them has a really really thick deep rib cage and, and a you know a steep sternum angle and um their um their ability to yeah is it like that to well to use their chest on a on a bench press is insane and then the other guy has a really shallow flat sternum not and he's not a lot of actual pec muscle and and it's like okay that guy's gonna be pretty shit with regards to using his chest on a bench press and these are the guys and this has happened so much with me where someone goes oh you know I'm I'm struggling to build my chest when and every time I bench press I get loads of shoulder pain, but I know that's the best exercise for, for building the chest. And and you look at them and you go, Yeah, that's that's the best exercise for Ronnie Coleman and JP. But it's not the best exercise for you, mate. And um, you know, because they basically have that you know, all the all the best bench presses in the world, doesn't matter who it is, if you look at how they're built, they'll have a really, really big rib cage probably, or you know, a moderately big rib cage and an incredible ability to get into a pretty decent range of spinal extension where they can artificially create this ability of their chest to resist a load that's coming straight through them. And and that's basically how you want to you know think about it. If, if you've got any movement, the the and you're apply you're applying a force in a certain direction and you want a muscle to resist that force, you're going to be able to do far more against resisting that force if the muscle is lined up against it and, and in the case of so you're basically able to get the muscle exerting a force that's going straight back against the force that's coming through it and in the case of um a uh, a bench press if you can get someone to if you this is where you have to look at the lower fibers of your pec to actually see this if you were to get into a, a bench press position you would see that the lower fibers kind of run off at a steeper angle guys at the top um you know if you put their bench press and stuff in, in, in squats and someone's exercise exercise program you'd, you'd be looking at taking into account those factors and then um you know and, and 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 you know on the bench press example again you look at someone doing like an incline press and and th- th- this is an example i like to use a lot because this is where it it's quite often the case with this but um someone is um if you look at well, if you look at the upper like clavicular fibers of the chest, that they doesn't matter how how you position yourself. Generally speaking, they're not ever gonna they're always gonna be pulling more across your body, and um and the but you get all these people going yeah yeah incline barbell presses is the best exercise for upper chest development, and um and and when you actually break down the mechanics of the movement, that those fibers do very little to actually produce rotation of the humerus across the midline of the body and it's um you know when you there's certain cases where it becomes far more effective and that's like in the instance that someone carries a stupid amount of muscle on their chest and those fibers have artificially you know become steeper in their i say artificially they've naturally become steeper in their um in, in their line of pull so that their ability to actually 
resist load that's coming straight down through them is 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 better and more and more efficient they have more mechanical advantage you'd say and um in that you know but th- there's only a small percentage of humans that can do that and you look at someone like jordan peters um and he has like a stupid stupid chest that's so big and his bench press is you know his incline bench he was like 180 and if you you look at him when he's actually doing that because of the thickness of his rib cage the amount of extension he gets into through his spine it's actually not even a challenge for his upper chest he's training his, his mid you know mid lower pec fibers there and and if you were to you know you still get hypertrophy through your upper chest in, in that instance but you won't be able to make sure those guys are doing most of the work and and this is something I put, you know, I put in, I put a post up on my Instagram um, of me doing a cable exercise with this. And uh, I put it in Callum's plan as well. And it's that basically, you know, if you're going to try and get those guys involved, it doesn't really matter what you're struck, how you're structured really, because you're never going to get those guys to be efficient on a bench, in a bench press scenario of any sort. Um, because the line of force is just not at all useful. The, you're always going to pay to be able to line up the cables, you know, have a line of force that's coming more lateral to medial, which is how those fibers are pulling. So having a cable set up is going to be far more efficient across the board in that instance. And it's um, the, and that's where you, you've got to understand this comes back to the anatomy side of things. Like there are certain muscles that it, it doesn't matter how someone's built. You've got to be more smart in how you're trying to target them. And um, and the upper chest is a classic example there. And then, um, you know, so so if you've got someone out there who, who's, you know, looking to build their upper chest and you've been hammering an incline bench for an incline pressing movements in general, you're, you're potentially selling yourself short in how much progress you can make there by simply... Sticking to, I've been listening to a lot of the sound bites out there by all these guys that go, yeah, you know, I built my upper chest from from pressing and doing all that stuff. It's like, yeah, maybe they built it from pressing, or maybe they just get kind of a little bit of carryover into their upper chest from all the pressing they do, but they're not really getting those guys to do a lot. And maybe they're also, you know, quite genetically gifted in the pec department, and maybe they're also pushing a lot of gear and they're pretty jacked and they're going to get upper chest growth anyway. Um, And um, uh yeah i mean that's like chess talks a bit about the squat mechanics there i mean there's some could go into some of the stuff with regards to like lats and so and like recruiting the guys through the back if you want yeah we'll, we'll do that in a second because i think actually a lot of people will identify with the the chest because everyone's like oh how do i build my upper inner chest and it's like okay well first of all that's not a muscle you know <laughs> um, um but second of all like a lot of people do fail to realize that they are changing their body in an exercise and therefore they are changing the exercise in terms of like that incline bench that you said, like I know for myself, like my, like my incline bench is actually like about five kilos below my actual like flat bench. And like, that's not like a huge, like you you genuinely would generally wouldn't think they should be that close. Like you think they'd be way closer, but you also have to put into account that when I incline bench, I pretty much get into spinal extension still and it becomes like a flat bench for me, you know? So even though I'm in that inclined plane, well, the the seat is angled in an inclined plane. My body is not angled in an inclined plane, you know? So yeah, like you do have to take that into account. Like I, I've inclined bench 135 and my bench press is like 140, you know? So it's like this, like, why, like how are they that close to each other? But if you take into account, you actually looked at my body in those exercises they're actually very similar exercises. And even though like incline benching for me does actually make me feel my upper chest a little bit more, it's not like very, very upper chest. Like it's more kind of, we'll say mid chest. So I already know that I'm like from just from actually feeling it, I already know that I'm not fully targeting the target musculature. So if my goal is where to build the juiciest, biggest upper chest that I possibly could, like I know for me, there's way better exercises. And this is, again, like the kind of stuff that I hate when people just use like say EMG data or, you know, they just use their favorite 
individual like they're like oh well arnold did this or you fucking like jp did this or whatever it is and it's like you you are you are not that person you have to do your own experiment and you have to understand the anatomy as a generalized thing in terms of like what is the function of that musculature what is the orientation of those fibers how does that change with like different you know limb lengths rib structure whatever and then layer that onto what you're actually trying to achieve and how your body as an individual is set up. So I know for me, like if I do say any kind of fly movement, like if I do an incline fly movement, I don't get nearly as much like spinal extension while I'm doing that. But as a result, I feel my chest and I, like I will say I'm doing a more kind of polyquin style flies in terms of I'm come on, I'm bringing my elbow back towards my ear rather than just coming straight out to the side of the chest. So I'm getting a little bit more in line orientation with those, those, those fibers. Um, and like my upper chest, that feels that a hundred percent. If I wanted to even target even more, mm-hmm. like getting on that incline bench and doing like cable flies with that incline. Like I feel that way more because I'm literally just getting elbows out, elbows in. And that's, that's essentially what I'm doing like that. They're almost 90 degree angle, to my body so i feel upper chest a lot more but then you can also forget about the incline angle and do something like say like uh, what's that called the garanda press you know where like the it's literally elbows at 90 degrees and you're bench pressing towards the neck almost and people are like oh i get like so much chest out of this and it's like yeah okay because like look look at the line like what go on guillotine press yeah yeah like you know like you look at that and you go okay well like look at what this is actually achieving in terms of internally then you can realize why you feel that way or why you seem to get those kind of results because what people tend to do is go oh i saw this guy with a big juicy chest do this exercise so obviously that's the exercise for me and this this is even further conflated when people kind of go on the whole genetics argument and they'll see someone who was like really skinny as a kid and then they see them when they're like 30 and they're you know 300 pounds and it's like oh well like he overcame his genetics so obviously he knows what he's doing and you know he's got the best exercises and it's like you're conflating genetics like it's the genetic potential it's not where you were as a child like you could be born in kenya i don't know be a marathon runner your entire life and have the juiciest genetics for muscle building and all of a sudden i don't know you move from kenya to britain and you're like ah oh, like giving up running don't really like running here you get into the gym and all of a sudden you went from this 18 year old who was 55 kilos at six foot <laughs> and then you know four years down the line you're like 120 kilos jacked out of your mind and it's like it wasn't your genetics that were preventing you from being bigger when you were younger. It was the fact that you weren't doing stuff that was conducive to muscle gain. So that's what it's kind of conflated in the industry that like, Oh, look at him at point A and point B. And clearly, you know, those exercises are ideal and these exercises are the best. And it's like this, you're, you're conflating the genetic potential here for this individual to build muscle with the effectiveness of these exercises you know maybe he was just perfectly built to squash and to bench press and obviously those two exercises were perfect for him then and he got a huge return on investment that does not mean that they are perfect for you however using the same argument style we'll say exercises that are bad for you right now may be good for you in the future in terms of like you use the the bench press is a really good one so you start out and you are literally skin and bones like you've no musculature whatsoever so that bench press that you're doing you're actually doing or we'll say the bench press you're doing when you're skin and bones and the bench press you're doing when you've put on 30 kilos of muscle 10 years later are completely different exercises you know because first of all the, the range of motion is just completely changed because you've put on a lot of well hopefully a lot of back musculature so you're actually even off the bench a lot a lot further you've obviously put on a lot of chest musculature so like and then you're probably better mechanics in terms of you're able to get that spinal extension and stuff and you've got a lot more tricep mass you've got lats that you can actually you know keep the elbows against so there's there's a whole lot of stuff that changes as you get bigger and i think a lot of people use this argument that we're saying in terms of 
the looking at your individual yeah, biomechanics, looking at your individual anatomy, and like, then choosing know, exercises. And then forgetting have to that earn the right to move things change with over speed time in training. You know, and that's what, like, what and I got from Michael Goulden when I was working at Integra. But um, he um, and you know pe- people come in the gym and they and they start moving everything really quick because they think that intensity equals you know speed and it's not. I, d- I did a post on that, but but it's also a case that there's certain exercises that you kind of have to earn the right to be able to do, and and it's like not only do you need the skill and the coordination. But in a lot of cases, and you know, if someone doesn't possess the, the ideal structure, they've got to you know build and earn the amount of muscle that they can, so they can do that exercise safely. And um, yeah, I mean, bench press is a prime example there. The um, yeah, uh, it's it's it's, but people never. It's very rare that you get that, and it's like very rare that you'd ever get someone right when they start training, and they're like, "Yeah, man, I'm going to do everything you say, and and I'm not going to bench press for five years until I've got." a massive chest where I can actually, you know, use those fibers as, and protect my shoulder joint. And I mean, you can go even further and say some people can't, shouldn't be bench pressing because they don't have the, uh, the strength and the guys supporting everything else around the shoulder joint to use their pecs in that manner anyway. So it's like, you know, you need guys, you need your lats and you need your rotator cuffs and you need the guys around your shoulder and across your rib cage working pretty damn well to, you know, manage all the force that you're producing through your chest. And if you don't have, you know, a, a ability to do that, then should you be bench pressing? Maybe not. And and that, you know, that could be a case where someone gets all this chronic shoulder pain when they bench press. And maybe that's, you know, the answer's lying in some sort of dysfunction or inhibition in some of that underlying musculature. But, um, but it's, um, yeah, very, very true. Yeah, the way I kind of look at it all, there's kind of like four eyes in terms of this whole whole process or the stock process so you got first of all identify so you have to be able to identify first of all what you're trying to achieve and what are the potential limiting factors here what are the potential or what are the, the targets you're trying to do like you have to really identify and nail down everything that you're trying to actually achieve like you have to be able to identify it whatever extent that is whether it's really really diving deep on it or whether it's just at a kind of more superficial level so you have to be able to identify then you have to be able to isolate so like again like you have to earn the right to do certain things like i hate the way people are like oh well like i'm a powerlifter i only need to squat squat bench dead and it's like yeah like that's that's cool if you're peaking you know let's ramp up the volume of those stuff or whatever like and have that the majority of your training that but if you're just trying to build a good base so that you can actually effectively move and be injury free like i would definitely be having you doing more movements than just tree movements like i always look at it humans have the greatest capacity for movement of any animal in the animal kingdom like i dare you to find an animal that can move in more complex patterns than humans like even if you want to go, oh, well, that's bullshit, Patrick. Like, find an animal outside of primates that can t- throw things, you know? I challenge you. Something that can throw things. And you choose, as a human, to go, oh, I'm going to only be defined by three movements. That's all I'm going to do, you know? So it's like, okay, cool. For your sport, that's perfect. You're obviously going to need to do that if you're peaking for your sport. But as a general training uh, dogma, mantra, whatever, it's pretty poor. In terms of you're going to find yourself or you're going to find muscles that are left out you know so that you want to be able to identify first of all and then you want to be able to isolate and that could mean you know actually doing more kind of bodybuilding work and actually you know dialing in with like very specific muscles that you know maybe aren't really show muscles but are actually bringing something to the table in terms of building integrity or strength in that positioning that you need to get into or stability maybe whatever it is so you have to be able to isolate and that could be if you want to squat that you're actually doing something like you know a leg press to actually build up i don't know maybe hip flexion you need to be able to get stronger in that deeper range and you're kind of like well look i don't have the the coordination right now to do that in a squat but i know i have the available hip range i just don't have the strength there so i need to do something to work on that so you're you're you're, you're picking something else but it's with the overall goal to move forward. And that kind of brings us into the the next phase, which is integrate. Like all this isolation work, 
is kind of useless if you're not able to integrate it into complex movement patterns in terms of like you can do leg extensions till the cows come home and maybe as a bodybuilder that's perfect for you but if you want to be able to move as a human like you're going to have to be able to integrate that increased quad size that increased quad strength into more complex movement patterns that does not mean that those complex movement patterns have to be performed all the time like you don't like as a bodybuilder or whatever like that doesn't mean you have to squat all the time that doesn't mean that you have to do all these complex movements all the time it just means that you have to have the capacity to do them if you want to have like quote-unquote health and longevity you know and then the final thing is improvisation and improvisation is one of those things where it's like like you don't really need to get into that it's more towards like the sporting side of things or like i myself i know gary is as well are more geared towards living a healthy, pain-free life. So being able to, you know, run up the mountains and go for a jog or, you know, being able, like I know Gary's in Bali now and he went for a jog up the mountains or something. Um, but being a, being able to do that because you have this the strength to do that or being able to do it because you have the aerobic, anaerobic, whatever it is, capacity to do that. You can only improvise and, you know, deal with the environment around you if you have built the capacity to get to that point and people kind of look at that that there's so there's four eyes there and people kind of look at all of that and go oh well i was able to as a child improvise and i didn't have to do all this identification isolation fucking whatever else they did they're like oh i didn't have to do any of that like for example like you as a child you climb a tree and it's like did you have the requisite you know chin up strength to do that have you did you have the bicep strength were you isolating were you doing your tree sets of 10 on chin ups before you climb that tree and it's like no it kind of misses the whole point it's like if you want to be able to put everything together in an overall framework once you identify your goals you should be able to kind of go these are the limiting factors within that and this is how we move forward and actually achieve those goals because that integrates stuff is the actual achievement and attainment of your goals. So if your goal is to be able to climb a tree, well, you may be able to climb a tree perfectly fine right now. That doesn't mean that you're optimized to climb that tree in terms of you're not able to do that continuously and pain-free and the most efficiently you can. So while people can just jump into the gym one day, first day in and squat perfectly, that doesn't mean that they are squatting perfectly and optimally for them as a human, as an individual for a lifetime, you know? So you might be able to squash, but 10 years down the line, you're like, why are my knees so fucking sore? And it's like, it's because, yeah, while you were able to do this, you didn't either have the requisite ranges of motion, you didn't have the requisite, you know, strength and stability in these different ranges, or like it just wasn't, you just weren't built for this exercise. And while you could do it, that doesn't mean it's the most effective way for you to achieve your goals. So that's kind of how I conceptualize all of this uh, program design stuff. Like it all comes down to, first of all, identify your goals, then using your understanding of biomechanics, anatomy, biophysics, and we'll say the whole strength and conditioning research in terms of you know volume intensification and stuff, all, all the tools that you have in your toolbox to design a plan that allows you isolate musculature or isolate skills, isolate strengths, whatever it is that you need to isolate, and then integrate them into a pattern that allows you to live a pain-free life and you know achieve your, your goals, whether that is mus- muscle building, whether it is strength, whether it is skills, whatever, whether it is endurance, whether it's what, whatever it is, you should be able to identify, first of all, you should then be able to isolate the components of that and then eventually integrate that and again if you are in a sporting environment or you are you know someone that's looking for let's say optimal health and longevity within a lifetime then you should be able to improvise that and i think a lot of the information in the fitness industry is kind of skewed in terms of most of it's put out by bodybuilders you know especially in like the west it's all put out by bodybuilders you know and they they have a really skewed view of things and it kind of hurts my brain a little bit. Like, for example, you'll see like bodybuilders go, oh, 
you know, endurance trainers don't do enough resistance work. Like they should be in the gym squatting. They should be in the gym doing lunges and deadlifts and stuff. And that's going to improve their performance running. However, if you then say to a bodybuilder, oh, you should be doing aerobic work. It's going to improve your ability to train. They'll go, oh, no, 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 man. It kills gains. It's like, so let me just get this straight. You think your modality will improve someone else's modality because they'll get stronger. But then you completely ignore the fact that their modality will improve your modality. Okay, yeah, yeah. And this is the kind of thought process you get in the fitness industry, whether they're powerlifters, bodybuilders, or whatever else. It's like, oh, my modality shits all over your modality. So you should do my modality, even if it is a detriment to your modality, because I swear, man, it's going to improve your modality eventually. It's like, you have to look at things in terms of let's identify what you are actually trying to achieve. If you're a bodybuilder and you still have this dogma in your head where you're going, oh, I have to do these movements because they're athletic. Like they're literally bodybuilding is like artistic gymnastics. You know, it's, it's more it's more akin to a pageant than it is to a sport. So, you know, you, you stand on a stage and you pose and that's the, literally no hate against bodybuilders, but that is what you're doing. You're standing on a stage for what, three minutes and you're posing. And I'm not taking anything away from that because like posing is fucking rough enough. Like it's, it is a sport in and of itself, you know? So, but that, that is your goal. It isn't to be athletic. It isn't to be even healthy. It isn't even to be, you know, perform well in the gym. Like all that matters to you is putting on as much muscle as possible while being as lean as possible for a competition day. So getting all this dogma out of your head where it's like, I have to do these movements because they're athletic would, will eventually help you in terms of your overall goals, you know, because perhaps you just aren't built to squat. Perhaps you aren't built to bench press. And because they're in your head, uh, athletic movements, you have to do them. And it's like, you could be choosing way better exercises for your ultimate goal. You know, and this also goes down to even like bodybuilders, the way they choose their drugs and stuff. You know, they, they kind of go, they, they favor side effects rather than effects. Like people go, oh, but I love X drug because it makes me feel really strong in the gym and it makes me feel like I'm a, a fucking animal. And it's like, that's cool. Does it equate to more muscle building? And you ask them, it's like, no, no, I don't. I don't think I gain more muscle when I'm on it. It's like, well, your one goal as a bodybuilder is to build muscle. So you need to be taking anabolic drugs, not these androgenic drugs that you're going, oh, yeah, but man, they make me strong as fuck. It's like, it doesn't matter if it doesn't equate to more muscle. Like, it's completely irrelevant, you know? So you do need to, again, really, really dive deep in what your actual goals are overall with your program design. And only once you do that, can you start peeling back and getting rid of all this dogma that isn't actually contributing to your actual development in that chosen field, whether it's... I don't know, just training to look good, whether it's actually training to compete on stage, whether it's training to be strong, whether it's training to be, I don't know, do an endurance sport or any sport, you know, you really have to peel back the layers and kind of go, well, like, why am I doing this exercise? What, why is this in here? How does this fit in with me as an individual? And only then can you truly design the perfect program for you. Because I kind of hate the, the saying where people are like, oh, the perfect program doesn't exist. Like, I actually think the perfect program does exist but it is so individualized and so dialed in that it is a transient thing. Like it's the perfect program for you right now, given where you yeah, are I mean, at and where you want yeah, I mean, to go. Like so me, I was it's say, kind of a misnomer, but I understand why people say it because you have the perfect program eyes. doesn't exist, but the perfect There's program could just do does the, exist the singular at the same time. Most bodybuilders to just inject and get jacked. <laughs> and, um, um, which it works, but the, um, you, you will typically see that individuals that take that approach disregard all the other stuff, but because they build such a stupid amount of muscle, they get this, this incredible, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reputation. Um, no, what, what, you know, what's the word? Reputation or like presence and, and the, um, you know, they, they get all these younger guys that want that same look going. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to do what that guy does. And it's like, there's probably safer, smarter, more like healthy ways of doing it. And you can still take gear and do it, but it's like you can make it way more effective by taking into account all the things Paddy spoke of, which is cool. Um, 
But it, but yeah, it's, it's a shame that people get so close-minded to that sort of thing. And, it, and it, you know, you're even seeing people come around to it more. And, this, you know, JP, very, very smart guy, always been a smart guy. He's recently started being more clued in on the mechanic side of things by um, Joe Bennett. And um, now that information is going to start to be drip-fed through to, the, you know, the, those sorts of, that realm of bodybuilding. And it's, you know, potentially there's going to be a lot more efficiency no, and, and you know, so it should be quite cool. Um, but I mean, I, I was just briefly, you're talking about the individual structure and, and, and stuff like that. And there's something that I wanted to talk about and it kind of fits in quite well. Um, was that there's so many, there's a lot of individuals out there. I know this just kind of goes into the lap mechanic thing. I mean, the, 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 there's people out there that will have like spinal um, deviations and like scoliosis and stuff like that. Like I have this client with scoliosis and she's, when you look at how the lap functions, like she could, uh, she, she, the, the, well, the, the lap basically like wraps around the rib cage, and that wrapping around the rib cage creates this kind of pulley system that means the lat is able to resist guys pulling it in your glenohumeral joint into flexion really well. And when you um, drive through shoulder extension, it's the wrapping of the rib cage around the, the lat around the rib cage that means the lat can do its job. And then once you get to a point, where the lat no longer has that like pulling around the rib cage, it's pretty shit. Really, it doesn't doesn't do much. Um, but when you have someone who has like, some sort of spinal deviation, you get this the, the thing where like the, this individual that I work with, she doesn't have on her left side. She loses that effect of the lat around the um, pulling around the rib cage. So with her, you know, the perfect program for her with regards to training her lats equally means if we're doing like a rowing movement, we have to set it up so on her right side that that cable or whatever it is is pulling straight in front of her and on when we're training her left side it's pulling across her body so we can kind of artificially create that that pulley system and that's like an example of you, you could give that person a like i could give this this woman a a, a, a back program or a you know back movements in her in her sessions that she's on paper would work for most other people. But yeah, yeah, this is great. You know, this loads of lat and it's, you know, really well in its length and position. It's dropping off really nicely. It's like, oh shit, her lat can't actually function that well based on her structure. So now we've got to take into account and find, find a way of building the perfect program for the, for this individual. And that's how we've all got to look at it. And, you know, it boils down to, you've got to take the whole thing, you know, this whole approach is an individual approach and you know the fact that it is called personal training so i said on the last episode you understand all this stuff it puts the personal in personal training and and if you don't then you are going to sell yourself short with what you can achieve with people yeah i 100 percent agree and um, i think we are yeah we're like an hour 15 minutes or so into this so let's wrap it up here um Again, where where can people find you? I know um, we've had you yeah, muscle so I'm on Instagram is biophysics. Uh, people on the um, last two episodes, three episodes. Now. What <laughs> are we advertising you or something? Biophysics. Um, um, but where, where uh, can no people find you? Schools or anything like that. And then, yeah, as I said last time, Callum and Callum, who was on the last episode, Callum and I are um, do, uh, launching a coaching business called uh, the Muscle Mentors, and that's also on Instagram no spaces, no capitals, whatever. Um, and we're, we're actually going to put, be putting our first podcast out this week. Right. I'm going to wrap it up here. Oh, As per usual, guys, you know where to find us, triage methods on pretty much everything. Um, you can find Gary, Skinny Guys, on Instagram. If you want to see pictures of me squatting in nature, Paddy underscore Farrell underscore. Um, other than that, guys, again, if you do, if you do have any questions, you can always email us. You can always drop us. Uh, instant message dm whatever on any of our social and medias wanna, yeah, and we'll get back to you um, then, uh, then, you other know, than that i don't think there's, there's much else to say <laughs> of course like if you if you want a second rate triage follow the nah. muscle mentors nah. uh, they, they seem oh, to be good guys <laughs> yeah nah. you, you see that's actually <laughs> racist right there um I'm so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna put it out there that the muscle mentors are in fact racist it's disgusting Right, I'm going to wrap it up here. Peace out, guys.